gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. that. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable big daddy. Remarkable. Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. This week, we are talking about B2B marketing lessons from Mean Girls and how to use a relatable setting in your marketing. Get in, loser. We're going shopping. Regina's like the Barbie doll I never had. I'd never seen anybody so glamorous. So Mean Girls is a, is a really fun film. It's an iconic teen comedy from 2004. That is Dane Eckerly head of development at Caspian Studios, and Mr. Hollywood big shot movie maker himself. It was written by Tina Fey, the comedian, and directed by Mark Waters. It's loosely based in part on Rosalind Wiseman's 2002 book. It's a nonfiction self-help book called Queen Bees and Wannabes, uh, which sort of describes female high school cliques and bullying in high school and sort of the damage that that could have on kids and students. Okay, what is it? Regina says everyone hates you because you're such a slut. She said that? You didn't hear it from me. A little harsh, Scratch. Whatever, she has a right to know. The movie Mean Girls itself stars Lindsay Lohan, Rachel McAdams, Amanda Seyfried, actresses who are pretty huge now, but they were much younger then. Yeah, the plot of the movie follows pretty much Lindsay Lohan, who plays a naive teenage girl who's sort of just trying to navigate her way through the social hierarchy of a modern American high school, essentially, after being homeschooled for many years. So she's kind of a fish out of water, learning this new world, and lots of crazy things ensue. I had no idea that it was based off of a self-help book. What a great idea. That's its own marketing lesson in there. Take uh, take nonfiction and uh, spin it into fiction or, or vice versa. I guess that's basically the whole point of this podcast. What else about, uh, <laughs> what else about uh, Mean Girls? It definitely gave me some PTSD from high school because <laughs> I was in the out crowd. That is Annika Das, B2B content marketing manager here at Caspian Studios. So I was like Janice and <laughs> no Damien hanging out. Yeah, for sure. So I was like, yeah, definitely had some Gretchen Wieners and Regina Georges in my life. She's totally rich because her dad invented toaster strudel. Gretchen Wieners knows everybody's business. She knows everything about everyone. That's why her hair is so big. It's full of secrets. Hey, hey, um, what's happening? And evil takes a human form in Regina George. It literally is what happens when I was in high school. That is Colin Stamps our podcast launch manager here at Caspian Studios, and our marketing aficionado. There's a bunch of SNL folks within the movie. I didn't even know that they were in there. Didn't even know that Tina Fey wrote it, so that was pretty interesting just to find out. Ms. Norberry? My t-shirt's stuck to my sweater, isn't it? Yeah. Fantastic. Mean Girls is just so relatable. Relatable means having a causal or logical connection to something. When your setting is relatable, the audience feels that they have been there before, so they recognize and identify with the situation. This was my first time seeing it just last week. That is Meredith O'Neill, our amazing producer extraordinaire for this show and many other shows at Caspian Studios. 
And just watching it brought me back to that time, like the early 2000s, late 1990s, in a couple of different ways. And I feel like even like down to the details, like as a somebody who went to high school around that same time, right? You have that semi-universal experience, like you're going to high school, you're trying to find your clique, your people, you're coming into yourself. But also, like I was mentioning the details, like uh, Regina George's younger sister, who's unsupervised for most of the time, is caught watching like mature television. That was my little sister who my mom walked in on watching uh, some stuff on MTV that she shouldn't have been watching and singing along to songs that had expletives and whatever. So it just like really spoke to me in that way and made me remember my time in high school, but also just the setting of the high school. Like, I feel like everyone's high school kind of looked the same with the lockers, the bathroom stalls and all of that. So it's really set in a time and place that just speaks to you emotionally. And I think that's what it gets at. I think something interesting for this movie was that it was like very much fish out of water, right? It's like Lindsay Lohan comes into the school, into this like environment that she doesn't know. And she's like, they use this technique in the story of, uh, because I think she was in Africa before this. And so she's like relating everything to like the African Savannah. Being at Old Orchard Mall kind of reminded me of being home in Africa by the watering hole. And the animals are in heat. Which, by the way, like, in the movie, it totally didn't really work. And then in, in rewatch, I was like, this is just super lame and probably the worst part of the, of the movie. But it speaks to, like, kind of how lame she feels in her own skin that she's like trying to relate all of this stuff in high school and like figure out a way to make it all make sense to her. And, and Lindsay Lohan is just like, I mean, she's freaking iconic. Hi. I don't know if anyone told you about me. I'm a new student here. My name is Katie here. Also, I feel like we got to talk about the burn book because like that is real. It's our burn book. So we cut out girls' pictures from the yearbook, and then we wrote comments. Trang Pack is a grotesky little biatch. Still true. Don Schweitzer is a fat virgin. Still half true. <laughs> that exists. It exists in high schools all over the country. I know we had kids who had a burn book like that. High school people are mean and catty and weird and and uh, and trying to push each other down uh, to build themselves up. And this movie just absolutely captures it. Yeah, one, I mean, one interesting thing, and this isn't necessarily a surprise because the movie is so iconic, but like, it, it's not just one of those things that did well over time. Like when it came out, I think they shot the movie for like just under $20 million, but it grossed uh, 130 mil at the box office, which is pretty substantial. And then just more personally, like I, when I saw this movie, it's it has a special place in my heart. Like 14-year-old me, it was the first time I realized I had a massive crush on Lindsay Lohan. Probably like 80% <laughs> of amazing. American teenage boys <laughs> who saw Mean Girls. And I actually met her years later when I was like in my late 20s. And 14-year-old me just immediately came right back to the surface, clammed up. And I was like, no way. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> She's in my high um, That's so cool. I mean, I, so I was in high school when this came out. And so it was like, everybody started saying fetch. Everybody started saying all this stuff. I mean, it was, it crossed over, you know, culturally. That is so 
Gretchen, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. I think that having these four leads that then grew up into all megastars and all, obviously all the stuff that happened you know, later on with Lindsay Lohan being in the news every two seconds for, for years and years. And I think that that plays to the mystique a little bit too. So meta, the way that that happens. It's like when you grow up with them, you feel like it was that much more real. Like the movie feels that much more real because you were in high school and they were in high school in a movie about a high school. So seeing them grow, it's hard not to take that film and all the message with it as you grow, you know? All right, let's talk about our lesson. Why is the setting in high school so important? I was also thinking about how a lot of high schools, I feel like, look very similar. And so the setting physically, I think, is important. The interiors were filmed in New Jersey at this high school, Montclair High School. Um, but what's interesting is like the exterior was filmed at uni a university in Toronto. Um, so it was kind of split. But I was looking at why all high schools kind of look the same. And it's because many are built around the same time in the 1950s, 1960s. And it sort of reflects this like post-war period where it's the architecture was like on a tight budget. So they were trying to make the most of the space that they had. There was a baby boom. So they're trying to fit everybody in. And then it's all like prefab constructions, standardized designs. And so I was like, my high school looks like that high school. And it's because it was built around the same time because Montclair was built in the 1950s and same with my high school. Cafeterias were all standardized. So anyway, just like that, that setting was like, oh my God, I went here, right? Um, and so I'm saying like, I totally understand this experience of like trying to find your spot in the cafeteria. Like a lot of people went through that. Where you sit in the cafeteria is crucial. Dane, from a story perspective, using something like a high school setting, like why do storytellers do that? I think with like a high school, especially, it's one of those things where like Meredith was saying, it's so relatable. So like when you see the row of lockers or you see like the welcome back students or the auditorium, like no matter where you went to high school or what it looks like, you can, for the most part, like remember that time in your life. You can remember those stereotypes that like for some reason just happen at every school. You've got your jocks and your nerds and the theater kids and the skaters. Asian nerds. Varsity jocks, unfriendly black hotties, girls who eat their feelings, girls who don't eat anything, desperate wannabes. You know, that that's a thing that obviously it's probably changing a little bit now, and I probably sound old saying this, but like with something like that, I think the reason it's a great storytelling device is because when you only have 90 minutes or 100 minutes of screen time or 100 pages to get a story across, you save so much page real estate and screen time by just tapping into stereotypes and cliches and buckets like groups of those people where you don't have to explain who they are. You don't have to get into the depth of, you know, why the, the jocks are all wearing varsity jackets or why you should be careful when you walk by that side of the cafeteria. Like so much storytelling is handled for you so that you can get into stuff that's more pertinent to the story. And I think something like that is really interesting, especially as we're talking about remarkable takeaways and ways to apply that to B2B, just tapping into things that people know. So if you only have 30 seconds or 15 seconds in the age of TikTok to grab somebody, if you're leaning into something that people know to establish a setting, a time, a place, 
then you free up your sort of uh, your runway to talk about the things that you really want to get across because those things are kind of built in. And I think that's what's really special. Mean Girls probably does it better than most high school movies, too. It just nails it. Yeah, people do gravitate to what is relatable to them. There are studies done that, especially younger shoppers. Get in, loser. We're going shopping. Regina's like the Barbie doll I never had. I'd never seen anybody so glamorous. Like younger consumers, Gen Z and millennials prefer to to shop with what's relatable, to follow influencers they consider relatable. And then there was a study done by USC that found that 31% of ads that lead with emotion were successful compared to the 11% of ads that led with logic, meaning that like people are more likely to follow that like emotional tie, like that high school kind of evokes. I think also when you have a a setting like high school, that it allows you to create so much more rich and dynamic characters within that setting because you already know everything else that's going around. So you can make Amanda Seyfried's character super ridiculous. You know who's looking fine tonight? Seth Mosikowski. Okay, you did not just say that. What? He's a good kisser. He's your cousin. Yeah, but he's my first cousin. And be like sort of a caricature of, you know, people that maybe you went to high school with. Because, you know, like everything around you is feels just like your high school. So this person also feels like your high school. And it gives you so much room to to tell jokes, to put them in crazy situations that are, generally speaking, like pretty familiar. It also kind of touches on something that you sort of wish you could have done in high school. Like if you had a group of of people that you thought were pretty mean, you would have loved to have like get back at them in some way, you know, feed them bars that are full of calories or whatever that thing is that you probably wish secretly deep down you you could have had the either guts or ability to do. And to see that play out, to see the sort of the 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 bad kids get their comeuppance is like super satisfying. All right, let's get let's get to our marketing examples here. Annika, from a marketing perspective, what are some takeaways here of how to use setting in your marketing? Yeah, so I think when it comes down to setting, it's like being really relatable, but also super relevant to your audience. So along with knowing your audience, it's kind of like when B2B marketers split up their target audience into personas, for example, like know that they're people first, like more than just personas. So like professionals who want to like make better impressions and build stronger relationships. Like you have to be relatable to sell to them as a marketer, but also like show your true self and be authentic. And I think that comes with like knowing exactly like the groups they're in, like what they care about now, like social causes that people are into. So it's just being like real and not just grouping them into like stereotypical, like groups. And then I think also like tapping into current trends that people are already aware of and they're like already involved in. So you don't have to do extra work to educate people on something that might not be relevant to them. So I think like a really good example of this is HubSpot kind of does this with the video content they create. They have like actual employees like show up on camera like 
full face, like at work, just like talking about different tools and like ways that they sort of communicate with each other in the workplace, like challenges that they face. But it's really like just unscripted and targeted towards millennials almost because they're like TikTok style videos that are like really short and easy. In this video today, we're going to review how you can use HubSpot's CRM tool to manage your customer relationships. To watch and to the point. And then Dropbox does this too. They had like a whole hashtag life inside Dropbox campaign where they basically highlighted like employees to showcase their achievements and like who they are outside of work. In 2017, I moved to Sydney. I originally was going there for traveling for six months. However, turn of events meant that I was able to actually work in Australia. Which was really cool because people like think of Dropbox as such a like technology, like tool first company and probably don't realize like the people that are behind this um, product, like actually working on it and building it. So it was just kind of like, again, showing like who these people are beyond just like their day jobs and relating to just like real life things that people go through. And something we talk about all the time to play off that point is making entertaining content. And I think to take what you just, the examples you just said, Annika, to a next level is to just like add an element of like entertainment to it as well. An example that I thought of was, uh, so I have a sales background. I'm super knowledgeable about like what happens in the sales world. And there's an account that I found on Instagram a while ago called Corporate Bro. Hi, I'm Corporate Bro sales guru and relationship architect. Let me guess, you had hopes and dreams like everyone else, but somewhere along the way, you fucked up, stumbled into sales. Not only is sales fun and rewarding, but it's actually neither of those things. And it's this kid who uh, just does like super funny skits about sales. It's so relatable. I literally die laughing at every video. I send it to all my friends and we always talk about it. It's in the setting that you'd be in in sales. It's like all the social pressures that happen within the sales community that he talks about. And it's kind of exaggerated. So it's super entertaining. And I've actually seen other brands start doing this. Um, Vidyard has their whole sales feed channel where they do uh, some, some really cool like sales content. Sales Loft hired someone to do like similar TikTok style videos. So I think that's a super cool way that brands can like have that relatable setting of their audience and just make uh, entertaining content for uh, for people to consume. So often with our content, we are not putting our characters in a setting at all. And so when you think about writing a blog post, when you think about you know a customer story, when you think about a uh, uh, you know a, a video asset or whatever it is, a white paper even that we don't set the stage, like literally set the stage, put the listener in a familiar place, and so like some examples of some settings like number one end a quarter we all know what end a quarter feels like we all know that there's a huge pressure on sales we know that marketing has a huge pressure to you know deliver end a quarter we know what that feels like we know that there's late nights we know that people are pounding the phones extra hard we know how that feels that's a great setting and yet when we write a blog post we don't say hey let's let's set the stage at the very beginning and say we're going to set this at end of quarter or the sales kickoff or, you know, budget season or, you know, your event 
or those moments in time with decision-making. The setting could be, I'm sitting around a table with 14 other people. 10 of them aren't really paying attention. They're on a Zoom call. Uh, They're kind of doing other stuff. And we have to make a decision about buying some software. I'm the brand champion. Nobody else really gives a crap about what we're talking about, except for me. And yet all the people who are are holding the budgets are sitting there, you know, half paying attention. Like those are the types of settings in business that we can paint a really clear picture of. And then our audience will understand because they've been there too. Sales can be summed up in one great acronym, sadness. Sales are dope, never ever stop selling. This is important because once you're in sales, you can never get out unless you die. And like so often we do the exact opposite of that. It's like we just get right into the content and we don't set the stage. And so I think, you know, that's one piece of it. And then the other piece of it is creating visuals that set the stage for them, right? It's like pictures worth a thousand words. You know, Meredith talks so much about why they chose this high school. It's like they spend a lot of time setting this high school so that it looks like yours. And the same way in in uh, in business is like choosing visuals that do that. Like if you're a developer, every photo you see of a developer, you see them like sitting, super bright background, like smiling on their computer. The vast majority of them are coding like in the middle of the night, right? Like, you know, like sitting in their in their underwear. So like, what are we doing there? Like, that's not the actual setting that they're, that they're in. Uh, and it's just all those different things that have those disconnects. And if you use accurate visuals, you could convey that. Don't use stock imagery. We talk about this um, all the time. Like, don't use stock imagery. Use things that actually are realistic or use a meme or use something else to convey a message uh, with your visuals. Yeah, I think it honestly, it just comes down to being authentic. Yeah, and if it and if it is authentic and then it feels relatable. But, you know, you have to spend time figuring out the setting. Who's there? What time of day? What time of year? What are they thinking about? What are those things? Like, setting the stage is is absolutely critical. And to make it relatable, you have to understand what the heck they're going through and write that out. Put it at the top of your blog post. Setting, you know, interior, office building, you know, whatever it is. And that's what you do when you write a script, right, Dane? Yes. All right. Thanks, y'all. We'll talk to you next week. So fetch. What is fetch? Oh, it's like slang from England. Was that even this movie or is that a different movie? Wait, no, yeah, no, that's this movie. <laughs> okay. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios. B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood-style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, Colin Stamps, our podcast launch manager, Annika Das, B2B content marketing manager, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise.